Sometimes life can feel like a pressure cooker. From our work life to our personal lives and relationships, there's so much to balance. It's easy to feel weighed down when you're experiencing anxiety, stress, or sadness. Guess what? You are not alone. Support is all around you. No matter where you are, all you need to do is ask. Let us help you find a community at churchescare.com. Churches are communities of care. Go to C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com to explore the possibilities. Churchescare.com. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject of today's show is Ancient Egypt. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject, then research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of ancient Egypt. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Today we're going to discuss Ancient Egypt Part 1. This follows a listener's suggestion. Here's a shout out for the listener. I bet you are delighted, but why only Part 1? People spend their entire lives researching ancient Egypt. We may only get to scratch the surface in an hour. So if, or probably when, we return to the subject, we can call the next show Part 2. In thinking about how to start Part 1, perhaps after looking at why Egypt is situated where it is, we could look at the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. The three R's refer to skills-oriented education and schools. Don't you mean reading, writing, and math? Whatever you want to call them, there probably isn't much any civilization will be able to do without those basic skills. But before learning to read, write, and do math, people have to settle in one place and work together. Yes, the Nile, of course, provides fresh water and with annual flooding provides fertile soil for growing crops. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. Quote, the flooding of the Nile is a result of the yearly monsoon between May and August, causing enormous precipitations on the Ethiopian highlands, whose summits reach heights of up to 4,550 metres, that's 14,928 feet. Most of this rainwater is taken by the Blue Nile and by the Atbara River into the Nile, while a less important amount flows through the Sobat and the White Nile into the Nile. During this short period, those rivers contribute up to 90% of the water of the Nile and most of the sedimentation carried by it. But after the rainy season dwindles to minor rivers, unquote. I wonder if weather patterns several thousand years ago were similar to those of today, with food as well as water being available. But let's talk about the origins of Egyptian writing. The following article is from Newsweek, dated June 14, 2018. Quote, a joint American-Egyptian research team led by John Coleman Darnell from Yale University discovered the works at an ancient site in Egypt's eastern desert, part of the Sahara that lies east of the Nile River, which was used as a quarry and a place of manufacturing flint in ancient times. Several rock slabs were found with paintings and inscriptions on them, which date back to the late pre-dynastic period, roughly 3,500 to 3,000 BC of prehistoric Egypt. According to Darnell, the inscriptions found on the rock slabs represent the earliest form of writing in Egypt, 
which was a precursor to the hieroglyphic script, unquote. What was rest of the world doing about 5,000 years ago? The world could be said to be in the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age followed only the Stone Age. Sumer, the world's earliest civilization, was about to start. In Sumer, located in modern-day Iraq, cuneiform writing on clay slabs was used. Hieroglyphic script is use of two-dimensional pictures, right? Right, pictures of people, animals, or objects. I found out that a symbol can represent a word, a sound, a syllable, a concept, or a letter. The website Discovering Egypt provides an explanation. Quote, Alphabetic signs represent a single sound. Unfortunately, the Egyptians took most vowels for granted and did not re represent such as E or V, so we may never know how the words were formed. Syllabic signs represent a combination of two or three consonants. Word signs are pictures of objects used as the words for those objects. They are followed by an upright stroke to indicate the word is complete in one sign. A determinative is a picture of an object which helps the reader. For example, if a word expresses an extra abstract idea, a picture of a roll of papyrus tied up and sealed was included to show that the meaning of the word could be expressed in writing, although not pictorially." Unquote. Did they have the same alphabet as we have today? The alphabet had 29 letters, including A to Z, plus C, H, K, H, and S, H. I found it surprising that an alphabet including A to Z was created so long ago. What about numbers for math? They used a decimal system, unlike the Sumerians who used a 60 base system, as we've heard on another show. The website Discovering Egypt provides an explanation. Quote, one is shown by a single stroke, 10 is shown by a drawing of a hobble for cattle, 100 is represented by a coil of rope, 1000 a drawing of a lotus plant, 10,000 is represented by a finger, 100,000 is a tadpole of frog, 1 million is a figure of a god with arms raised above its head. The conventions for reading and writing is quite simple. The higher number is always written in front of the lower number, and where there is more than one row of numbers, the reader should start at the top." Unquote. A hobble for cattle is a device that ties legs together to restrict motion, presumably to keep cattle close. What do they use for numbers smaller than one? They use fractions, again from the Discovering Egypt website. Quote, in one of the ancient stories, the god Seth attacked his brother, the god Horus, and gouged out his eye and then tore it to pieces. Fortunately for Horus, the god Thoth was able to put the pieces back together and heal his eye. In honor of this story, the ancient Egyptians also used the pieces of Horus's eye to describe fractions. The right side of the eye equals a half. The pupil equals a quarter. The eyebrow equals one-eighth. The left side of the eye equals one-sixteenth. The curved tail equals one-thirty-second. The teardrop equals one-sixty-fourth. Seth, also known as Set or Sutek, was a god of desert storms, disorder, violence, and foreigners. Horus was uh, Seth's nephew and was a god of kingship and the, of the sky. Seth had the appearance of an unknown creature, possibly made up of an aardvark, a donkey, a jackal, or a fox. Horus had the appearance of a falcon-headed man. How could a bunch of people settle around the Nile come up with an entire alphabet and the decimal system? We haven't thought about the social structure and government needed to ensure a stable society. It sounds like the chicken and egg. You need a structured society to create civilization, while you need civilization to create a structured society. You probably need to be stable for a long time to create systems for letters and numbers. The use of animals as symbols as well as hybrid humans as gods is very interesting. But how was the alphabet and numbering system, along with which god was which, all figured out in modern times? That was figured out after the Rosetta Stone was discovered. I think a lot of people have heard the name Rosetta Stone, but what was it? Being a stone, it's a question of what is it. Here's a quote from an archive page on the BBC website. Quote, the Rosetta Stone is one of the most famous objects in the British Museum, but the actual content of its, of its inscriptions is, well, is less well known. The inscription is a decree that affirms the royal cult to the 13-year-old Ptolemy V on the first anniversary of his coronation in 196 BC. The same inscription is, is written in three different scripts. 
Greek hieroglyphs and Demotic Egyptian. It was this Greek inscription that allowed modern scholars to begin to decipher hieroglyphs for the first time. Why is the Rosetta Stone written in three different scripts? In 332 BC, Egypt was conquered by Alexander the Great. After Alexander's death, the former general Ptolemy I ruled Egypt. His Greek descendants, known as the Ptolemies, ruled Egypt for the next 300 years. The Ptolemaic period witnessed a fusion of Greek and Egyptian cultures. Greek was the official language of the court, while hieroglyphs were limited to use by the priests. Demotic Egypt was a native, sorry, Demotic Egyptian was a native script used for everyday purposes, unquote. Demotic Egyptian was a cursive form of hieroglyphics. When was it discovered and how did it end up in the British Museum? The History Channel website provides a summary. I'll start this, but I may have to uh, start again after the break. When Napoleon, an empire known for his enlightened view of an education, art and culture, invaded Egypt in 1798, he took along a group of scholars and told them to seize all important cultural artifacts of France. Pierre Bouchard, one of the Napoleon soldiers, was aware of this order when he found the basalt stone, which was almost four feet long and two and a half feet wide, at a fort near Rosetta. When the British defeated Napoleon in 1801, they took possession of the Rosetta stone. Okay, I think we need to go to the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue the quote in discussing the Rosetta Stone in ancient Egypt after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games, no need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. 
Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xzbn.net, where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. By applying divergent viewpoints to leading-edge topics, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truth to assist you on your path to enlightenment. More information and past episodes are available at missionevolution.org. to too good to be true and before the break we were discussing the rosetta stone and dad you were quoting from the history channel a website that provides a summary of when the rosetta stone was discovered and how it actually ended up in the british museum so dad can you please continue yes the british stole it i guess okay i'll continue the quote several scholars including englishman thomas young made progress with the initial hieroglyphics analysis of the rosetta stone French Egyptologist Jean-Francois Champignon, who had taught himself ancient languages, ultimately cracked the code and deciphered the hieroglyphics using his knowledge of Greek as a guide. Hieroglyphics use pictures to represent objects, sounds and, the, and groups of sounds. Once the Rosetta Stone inscriptions were translated, the language and culture of ancient Egypt was su- suddenly open to scientists as never before. The Rosetta Stone has been housed at the British Museum in London since 1802, except for a brief period during World War One. Unquote. What was the translation of the words on the stone? The writing made by priests includes Pharaoh Ptolemy V's accomplishments that were benefiting priests and the people of Egypt. But where did the ancient Egyptians come from to form their great nation? That's just been figured out. Here's part of an article from the CNN website dated June 23rd, 2017. Quote, ancient Egyptians and their modern counterparts share less in common than you might think. That is, at least genetically, a team of scientists have found. Researchers from the University of Tübingen and the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History in Jena, both in Germany, have decoded the genome of ancient Egyptians for the first time with unexpected results. Publishing its findings in Nature Communications, the study concluded that the preserved remains in Abusir el-Malik, Middle Egypt, were closest genetic relatives of Neolithic and Bronze Age populations from the Near East, Anatolia, and Eastern Mediterranean Europeans. Modern Egyptians, by comparison, share much more DNA with sub-Saharan populations. The findings have turned years of theory on its head, causing Egyptologists to reevaluate the region's history while looking new tools for scientists working in the field, unquote. It was reported that the researchers could retrieve the DNA because of embalming. They sampled 151 mummies. Neolithic just means Stone Age. The Near East refers to modern-day Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Jordan, Iraq, and Western Iran. Anatolia refers to the area between the Black and the Mediterranean Seas. The area could be considered to be modern-day Turkey. Eastern Mediterranean Europeans include people from modern-day Greece and Cyprus. That explains who the ancient Egyptians were ethnically, but doesn't explain how they got there or when or why they left. Is there anything else that is known about the people of ancient Egypt? The listener suggested the subject of ancient Egypt mentioned elongated skulls. In 2005, there were several news articles reporting new findings using new technology, including CT scans. The following is from the New York Times. Quote, artists and scientists drawing on a detailed examination of King Tut's mummy have reconstructed the face of the young ruler as he might have looked in life. An unusually elongated skull, a narrow face, pronounced lips, and possibly a receding chin. Picture of Tutankhamun's reconstructed face and head were released yesterday by Dr. Zai Hawa, Secretary General of the Supreme Council of Antiquities in Cairo. The new photos represent an apparently more realistic depiction of Tut 
than the stylized image of him on the on his golden burial mask, unquote. The article continues. They concluded, for example, that Tut's elongated skull was a normal anthropological variation, not a result of disease or congenital abnormality. They noted that his thin face and pronounced overbite buck teeth. Egyptologists said overbites ran in his family like the Habsburg lip of the more, more recent royal history, unquote. Were there other ancient Egyptian rulers with elongated skulls? Pictures of Queen Nefertiti seem to always show an elongated skull. Queen Nefertiti was King Tut's stepmother, who was married to Akhenaten, his father. King Tut's mother is believed to be Kaya, another of Akhenaten's hot wives and apparently Akhenaten's sibling. Has Queen Nefertiti's mummy been investigated? News of a 3D digital reconstruction of the face of Queen Nefertiti broke in February of this year. Egyptologist Dr. Aidan Jodson of Bristol University was permitted by Egypt's Ministry of Antiquities and the Egyptian Museum to examine the mummy without its protective glass case. Digital mapping created a replica of Queen Nefertiti's head. There is an interesting aspect is that if you take away the jewelry in ancient Egyptian headgear, the queen's face looks like that of a modern person. There's no mention of elongated skull, but what is so special about Queen Nefertiti? Long before the 3D imaging, the face of Queen Nefertiti was an iconic image of ancient Egypt and of, ageous, and of ageless beauty. The American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, ASAPS, uses a side view of the bust of Queen Nefertiti in their logo with a triangle in the background, presumably representative of a pyramid. The Queen's extended headdress or crown makes her look makes her head look larger and elongated. So it's just the extended headdress and not her actual skull? The three D imaging would suggest not, but I am suspicious I am suspicious of what is being reported. Why are you suspicious? Are there other explanations for elongated skulls other than paranormal ones? In 2014, for a BBC documentary, Tutankhamen, The Truth Uncovered, there was a virtual autopsy using more than 2,000 computerized tomography CT scans of the pharaoh's body. There's a mention of physical deformities, but no mention of an, elong of an elongated skull. Also, discussion of DNA evidence concluded that his parents were siblings, but excluding any mention of ethnicity. This result suggests that Kia was King Tut's mother. Earlier DNA testing suggested that King Tut's parents were cousins, indicating that Nefertiti could be his mother. Why is the family tree so important? Because if Nefertiti were, were King Tut's mother, maybe the elongated skull was inherited. But could elongated skulls be created by deforming infants' heads as they grow? The African Mangbetu tribe has had a custom of skull, of skull elongation. They use tightly wrapped cloth from birth. The, with westernization, the practice has died out. The ancient Egyptians may have used some techniques like the African tribe did. They may have, but they don't seem to have any hieroglyphics showing it being done. But there are other elongated skulls found in Europe and Peru, as well as Egypt. Here's a quote from the website, The Epoch Times. Quote, elongated skulls have been found in ancient burial grounds around the world. Many are the result of a practice of intentionally deforming a skull with binding applied during the early years of a child's life. Some may be explained by the natural deformity, yet enough mystery is left in relation to some of the skulls for various theories to arise. The article continues, some of the most famous elongated skulls are those found in Paracas on the coast of Peru. The skulls are believed to be from 3,000 to 2,000 years old. Rian Foster, assistant director of the Paracas History Museum in Paracas, announced in February that a genetic geneticist, sorry, analyzed the first flesh sample from the skulls and found that a segment of its DNA does not match any known human or human-like species from the past, unquote. The February referred to is February of 2014. So at least one elongated skull not found in Egypt doesn't have recogni recognizable DNA. 
Also with the inconsistency of reporting regarding the elongated skulls of Tutankhamun and of Queen Nefertiti. It's as if the subject is being avoided in a way. But when were these Egyptian royals alive? Around 3,300 years ago, but I think we should look at ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics for more on the appearance of the of ancient Egyptians. The website Proof of Alien lists 10 ancient hieroglyphics of proof of alien life. Elongated skulls included with an interesting explanation. Quote, many hieroglyphs bear images of humans with extra elongated craniums. As naturally human cranium is as naturally human cranium is not supposed to be that long. It is believed by the alien enthusiasts that ancient Egyptians tied ropes on the skulls of their babies to make the cranium look elongated. This was a measure to emulate the appearance of the aliens is what is widely believed." Unquote. What other aspects of hieroglyphics does the website include? Let's start with aerospace. The temple of Seti I at Abydos has a hieroglyphic panel that bears symbols resembling a helicopter, spaceship, and fighter jet, and fighter jet planes. These hieroglyphic panels were made three to 5,000 years ago when man had no idea about modern day vehicles. And we'll continue with possible extraterrestrials was another quote. I found something on the web about Go to A quote where uh, an Egyptian woman is seen sitting with an alien looking being in her lap in one of the hieroglyphic panels that has been recovered. Human structures can be easily made out in other hieroglyphics since it is obvious that the, that the being in question is certainly not a human, but an alien, unquote. We'll have to continue talking about ancient Egypt and going into the questions and the psychic insight after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. 
Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were talking about hieroglyphics and some interesting hieroglyphics resembling different things like helicopters, spacecrafts, fighter pilots, and some possible aliens. But the big question now is, how do we know that hieroglyphics are not just works of fiction? We don't know whether the ancients were throwing some curveballs, but where did they get a picture of a helicopter from, for example? Here's the next description of hieroglyphics that suggests extraterrestrials were in the minds of ancient Egyptians. Quote, a flying saucer seen hieroglyphic panels that are found on the walls of ancient Egyptian monuments. The shape and structure of the alleged flying saucer is so accurate that someone might think that the ancient Egyptians had referred to a sci-fi movie to draw that. This, however, proves that ancient Egyptians did encounter alien spaceships that's why these objects have found their place in the different work of hieroglyphics, unquote. Here's the next from the list of the 10 hieroglyphics from the website Proof of Alien, uh, Proof of Alien. Quote, mysterious alien-looking creatures are being found in many hieroglyphic panels all across Egypt. These, being, these beings have large black eyes and look humanoid, but certainly they are far from being humans. And here's the next, uh, next from the list. Quote, there's another hieroglyph that is found in the Temple of the Pharaohs where an alien is found that resembles exactly the little grey men about whom we keep on reading in the various tales of alien encounters, unquote. Here's the next one on the list. Quote, a hieroglyphic depiction of the ancient light bulb makes it evident that ancient Egyptians had developed the technology of how to generate electricity and work with electric light bulbs. The hieroglyph at the Dendra complex shows that with the support from some super intelligent extraterrestrial, ancient Egyptians had made such objects. And here's the next one. Quote, the strange appearance of the various Egyptian gods that are seen in the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics certainly point out that these gods were unearthly and they were extraterrestrial visitors. Sphinx, Anubis, etc., are examples of beings that are thought to be aliens in reality. Unquote. And finally, quote, various hieroglyphic panels bear images of humans interacting with, the, with beings that do not look like humans. These beings are mostly characterized by large craniums and large eyes and look as green men that you would get to see in the sci fi movies of these days. Unquote. Putting aside the various examples of apparent extraterrestrials being included in hieroglyphics, the idea that ancient Egyptians had electricity is rather incredible. But are there more details? The hieroglyph at the Dendera complex is also described as the Dendera lights. Here's a quote from the website Ancient Explorers. Quote, within the Temple of Hathor, which is part of the Dendera Tentriera temple complex in Egypt, are a series of carvings that many people believe depict the sophisticated use of electricity to generate light. Items identified are as follows, an arc lamp, several upright lamps, lamp socket, arc light flicker, electric cables, an isolator, and even a large upright battery. If historians and archeologists believe that the ancient Egyptians from this period used electricity, then 
and this would probably be considered a classic example. A further point that is often overlooked, overlooked is that Hathor was a goddess who is usually shown with a sun disc suspended between two horns, exactly like the reflecting mirror of an arc lamp. Even the dimensions are optimal. Although the equipment in the image may seem obvious, it should be also noted that many historians, archaeologists and Egyptologists strongly deny that the images are anything more than a representation of a fertility rite based on Egyptian mythology. Proponents of the light theory are often dismissed as fringe scientists, while mainstream Egyptologists are often accused of hiding behind conveniently concocted myths and retentive thinking. Both groups seem certain in their beliefs, unquote. The Dendera temple complex is located approximately 60 kilometers or 37 miles north of Luxor on the west bank of the Nile. Assuming that the images are not of a fertility rite, was there analysis of the depiction? The website Ancient Code provides the answer. Quote, as researchers compared and studied the depictions comparing the different types of bulbs, they reached a conclusion. The ancient Egyptians had a working light bulb achieved by what is called Crookes tubes. Officially, a Crookes tube is an early experimental electrical discharge tube with a partial vacuum invented by English physicist William Crookes and others around 1869 to 1875, in which cathode rays streams of electrons were discovered. When the tube is in operation, the beam is created where the power cord enters the cathode tube at the opposite end. In the image of the temple, the electron beam is represented as an extended snake. The tail of the snake begins where a cable from the power box enters the tube and the head of the snake touches the opposite end. And in Egyptian art, the serpent was a symbol of divine energy, unquote. When the pyramids and burial chambers were opened up, did they find any candle holders inside? I've looked at various pictures and I could only find smooth walls, so I don't think there was anything used for lighting that was installed on the walls. The pyramid builders could have carried candles or burning torches, taking them out again when they were finished. With that, I think it's time for the first question. Okay, was the Nile settled earlier than other locations or did that just reflect mankind in general becoming more like farmers and hunter-gatherers? So a little bit of both. So it settled very quickly, but it also did show about the farmers since it provided the water. So it's kind of a both question since the water provided a place for the people to settle, but also provided a way to settle in one place and have farming instead of having to travel long distances. Were the weather patterns around 5,000 years years ago similar to the weather patterns of today, especially in terms of the Nile flooding? Yes and no. So there were similar patterns, but they can't be completely compared because the earth was not the same then. So yes, the Nile will flood in different sequences, but the entire earth was different than it is today. Who was involved in the ancient Egyptian community in figuring out the alphabet? So that was a bunch of different minds who came together and also had some outside influence. So it can't be said exactly what outside influence, but it can be said that there, it was a group of people who decided that there needed to be some type of way to document what was going on. How many years did it take for the ancient Egyptians to figure out the alphabet? It was pretty quickly, so it was within 10 years. How were Egyptian words formed and pronounced with only single letter sounds? Basically by using the human speech to have the sounds sound all unique. So basically using their vocal cords in a way that language is not completely used today. So it takes a lot of training so the vocal cords can make different sounds that are very distinguished. How are 27, sorry, how are 26 letters of 29 of the Egyptian alphabet from so long ago currently in use in English? Basically, just the transition from using what was in the past to transitioning to what is used now. So usually with languages, a lot of languages lead to another language, will lead to another language, just because it is already something that the idea or concept is there. Why did the ancient Egyptians adopt the decimal system for their numbers, unlike the Sumerians? Because it was easier to keep track and the decimal system had more accuracy. So they wanted, especially mathematicians, to be able to use this accuracy properly. Why did the ancient Egyptians base fractions 
It's on the Eye of Horus. Because the Eye of Horus was very important. And basically what can be said is that the Eye of Horus was involved in their daily lives and was kind of, you could say, a guiding system for them. Why did the god Seth have the appearance of a creature possibly made up of an aardvark, a donkey, a jackal and a fox? Because basically it was based on creatures that were known and also was imagined. So if you're asking why the creature was made, it was just what was portrayed by a few people. But what can be said is that in their minds, this creature was very real. Why did the god Horus have the appearance of a falcon-headed man? Because of the strength that falcons had, and basically this all-knowing protection and guarding that Horus had. How did the ancient Egyptians create a social structure so stable that the resulting civilization was able to create and use writing and numbering systems? Basically, the first rule was that they had acceptance. So there was a lot of acceptance throughout. However, it wasn't all picture perfect. So there was a lot of things going wrong and a lot of people who were looked upon if they weren't in this accepting group. So there were the levels of acceptance. Then there was kind of the outsiders that weren't allowed to do what the main group was doing. And in their acceptance structure, everything was very, you could say, picture perfect. But if you were actually there in those times, there was a lot of downfalls for the people who were not accepted into the group. How were children educated in, Egypt, in ancient Egypt to learn reading, writing and math? Did they intend schools like today? You could call it school, but it was basically they would meet in different homes and be taught. So it could be thought of as an early school where there were teachers, there were that students, and there were the groups of them coming together. Was the Rosetta Stone created with the intention of being a means of decoding Egyptian hieroglyphics? Yes. Are there other stones that have been discovered or not discovered with Greek hieroglyphics and demotic uh, Egyptian scripts? Yes. Did the ancient Egyptians want later generations to understand their writing and their culture? Yes, especially what they wrote in specific places. So they wrote everything down for a reason, and it's basically unlocking what's actually in the hieroglyphics. So it's basically that it needed the time to be right to discover the stones and the keys that would unlock the writing. But we'll continue with the questions and the psychic insight after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simultv, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simultv. Simultv offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. 
Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion, a collection of obscure esoteric practices, a series of doomsday predictions, or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complimentary publication bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chock full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and the psychic insight about ancient Egypt. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Sure. Why were the ancient Egyptians so far-sighted in making it possible for later generations to understand them? That's for many different reasons. But one was that they were a very intelligent ancient civilization. So they did have many people who came together and were very smart. And also they had some... You could call it outside help. Has the discovery of some stones been kept from the general public? No, they have not. Was the Rosetta Stone carved in 196 BC? Approximately. Did Ptolemy V have accomplished benefited priests and the people of Egypt? Yes. How can ancient Egyptians be related to people today living in the Near East, Turkey and the Eastern Mediterranean? Yes, there are some that are related that go back, but when the world changed, a lot of the ancient, original civilizations kind of moved wherever they wanted to, so there is a mix. So again, that would go back to having to trace your roots back or do DNA tests or something along those lines, but basically the population moved where it pleased, and different generations became more curious and moved to different regions. Can you say anything about the earth changing a lot in ancient times? Basically, the earth changing is where multiple different civilizations were formed and there was more, you could say, intelligence. So when people decided to move to different parts, start exploring more, start these explorations, is where things really changed. And in regards to weather and the earth, is that the earth wasn't the same as today. So different land masses were in slightly different areas. Water was in different areas. And obviously, as a civilization, or even as an individual people, the people traveled to where the water was, since they needed that to survive. From where did the ancient Egyptians arrive from? So some were originally, you could say, related to people a long time ago, and they ended up going towards the water, towards the Nile River, while some of the ancient Egyptians weren't exactly from the area. You may have already answered this, but when and how... Did the people of ancient Egypt leave and for what reasons? For exploration purposes. So to basically try to find other places and have their curiosity. And there were a few that stayed behind. But again, it's hard for smaller groups of people to survive. Did Tutankhamun have usually elongated skull? Yes. Was Tutankhamun's elongated skull representative of normal anthropological variation? Not exactly. Did Queen Nefertiti have an elongated skull? Yes. Like Queen Nefertiti, did the people of ancient Egypt resemble people of today? Some of them, but not all. Why is the face of Queen Nefertiti an iconic image of ancient Egypt and of ageless beauty? Basically, because she looks very, you could say, royal and in charge, and does look similar to people of today, so her image is used a lot. 
and also because not many other images of people that were in ancient Egypt are known. What was the point of the of, of the queen's extended headdress or crown that makes her head look larger and more elongated than it actually was? Basically, to, you could fit in with others who did have an elongated head. Is there anything being kept away from the general public from the digital mapping that created the replica of Queen Nefertiti's head? Yes. Was that the appearance of her elongated skull? Correct. Why did Queen Nefertiti disappear from the Egyptian historical record around the 12th year of her husband, Akhenaten's 17-year reign? Basically, some people didn't like her, so they tried to, you could call it, remove her. Was she murdered or did she take on a new identity? She wasn't murdered, no, but she was, you could call it, in hiding. Why was an elongated skull thought to be desirable in ancient Egypt? Because that was what the rulers and a lot of the royal family looked like. Were the elongated skulls typical of humans of the time? No. Were there extraterrestrials among the ancient Egyptians? That could be said, yeah. Did the beings with the elongated skulls die out? Not exactly. They just moved on. So that goes back to a lot of your questions when it was stated that they had extra help. For the 2014 television documentary, Tutankhamun, The Truth Uncovered, why didn't the virtual autopsy that used CT scans of the pharaoh's body reveal an elongated skull? Because basically they're basing the bodies and what humans would look like today. And Egypt is already filled with so many different controversies that they want everything to look very, quote, normal. Was it a kind of a cover-up? That could be said. And also that they really learned limited information about the bodies. So scientists and professionals do act like they know a lot, but that isn't true. Were Tutankhamun's parents cousins or siblings? They were cousins. Did ancient Egyptians wrap the heads of infants to elongate their skulls? No. Have elongated skulls have been, been found in ancient burial grounds around the world? Here and there, yes. Were some, some the result of a practice of intentionally deforming the skull? That would be very difficult to do. So yes, it would be possible, but it would be very rare. Were some elongated skulls a result of natural deformity? Here and there, yes. What other reasons or reasons were there for elongated skulls? For a species that isn't completely the same as humans today. Are the skulls that were found in Paracas on the coast of Peru 3,000 to 2,000 years old? Yes. Why did the skull have segments of its DNA that do not match any known human or human-like species from the past? Because it's not human. Why are you news about the discoveries of elongated skulls from around the world? Because the idea that extraterrestrials not only walk the earth, but also you could say combined with humans and reproduce with humans is a very scary thought for, all, for a lot. And it does not fit into what most people's lives are, which is just surviving, going to work, having a family, their everyday rituals. It doesn't fit into that. So one, there's not enough interest. And two, the thought that different beings could come down to whatever way you want to call it, spacecraft, however they came down, is a very scary thought for a lot. Were Tutankhamun and Queen Nefertiti living around 3,300 years ago? Approximately. Why did, did, sorry, did ancient Egyptians bind the skulls of their babies to make the cranium elongated to emulate the appearance of extraterrestrials? Some tried, but no, not regularly, no. Is the famous hieroglyphic panel in the Temple of Seti I at Abydos 3,000 to 5,000 years old? More towards 5,000, but yes. Are there symbols in that hieroglyphic panel that resemble a helicopter, a spaceship, and, a, and fighter jet planes? Yes. How could ancient Egyptians know what helicopters, spaceships, and fighter jet planes would look like? Because they saw them themselves. In another hieroglyphic panel at another location is an Egyptian woman seen sitting with an extraterrestrial-looking being in her lap. Yes. 
is the hieroglyphic panel actually showing an extraterrestrial sitting in her lap? Yes, a hybrid, so part human, part not human. How do we know that many hieroglyphs are not just works of fiction? You don't. So it's a possible. It's possible that they could be, but think about it this way. Who would spend the time actually putting these hieroglyphics together, putting the accuracy, putting the time, the energy into these just to document a work of fiction? So it's just like, for example, today, as yes, there are works of fiction, but there's also works of fact. And the works of fact are, you could say, written in stone. So it'd be very uncommon for someone to spend that much time and effort since not everyone could or were allowed to write the hieroglyphics, especially in the most important spots. So special people were hired to actually write the hieroglyphics and make sure they were 100% accurate. Is a flying saucer seen on a hieroglyphic panel in another location? Multiple locations, yes. Are mysterious extraterrestrial-looking beings found in many hieroglyphic panels all across Egypt? Yes. Do some pictures actually represent extraterrestrial-looking beings with large black eyes but with a humanoid appearance? Yes. Is there a hieroglyph found in the Temple of the Pharaohs with an extraterrestrial resembling what are described today as the greys? Yes. What type of extraterrestrial is represented by the hieroglyph? An unfriendly one, you could say. So basically an enemy of the, you could call them friendly extraterrestrials. Does the appearance of Egyptian gods included in the hieroglyphics indicated that those gods were actually extraterrestrial visitors? Some of them, yes. So not every single one, since some of the gods were just based on human minds and creations. But for the most part, yes. So some of them were based on animals and kind of together in humans' minds, but others were extraterrestrial beings. Would the identity of Sphinx or Anubis be extraterrestrial? extraterrestrial? Yes. Do various hieroglyphic panels include images of humans interacting with extraterrestrials, mostly characterized by large craniums and large eyes? Yes. Does the hieroglyph at the Dendera complex referred to as a Dendera light show that ancient Egyptians had use of electricity? Yes, they had their own form. Are an art light, several upright lamps, a lamp socket, an art light flicker, electric cables, an isolator, and large upright battery represented by the hieroglyph? Yes. I think we're going to have to go through the remaining questions in part two. What do you think, Justina? Yes, I think we're about out of time here, so you better ask our question at the end. Yes, that was the last answer for today. Was the assistance of extraterrestrials in ancient Egypt too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. 
We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.